And welcome back to the Posh Cockney Podcast. You're listening to Liam Norvell and this is Hospitality News brought to you by the Industry Titans. And today's Titan is Mr. Ibiza himself, Tony Truman. I'm so excited to bring you this episode. He owns Ocean Beach Ibiza, the WikiWoo Hotel and many, many other businesses. You're going to really enjoy this. A big thank you to Gary from Scintillate for coming on the show last week. We've had a phenomenal response from that. I wish everyone at Scintillate the best of luck for the rest of the year and looking forward to those cocktails, as I said, in Marbella. On to today's episode. So Tony Truman's joined us and uh, we get to hear about his incredible journey in the industry, how he started in the game, how Ocean Beach came about and the story behind the WikiWoo Hotel. And now let's get on to today's show. But before we do, we'll hear from our sponsors, UtilityTrack. Enjoy, guys. As one of the UK's leading commercial energy consultants, Utilitrack help businesses spend less on their utilities. There's never been a better time than now to review your costs. So if you'd like free help or advice on saving money on your utilities, email us at inquiries at utilitrack.co.uk or visit our website www.utilitrack.co.uk. We've got Tony Truman, the king of Ibiza right now. Tony, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Well, that's some uh, accolade to say that, isn't it, really? <laughs> well, I think, I think it's fair to say. How have you been? How have you been coping? I've been, I've been good as gold, actually, tell the truth. I've actually been quite enjoying this lockdown. You know, perhaps I shouldn't say that when there's been so much, so many troubles in the world. But personally, it's been a, a great time for me to sort of chill out more and reflect on everything that's happened. Lots of family time. Loads of family time, you know, there's five of us here at my house, you know, my ex-partner, my daughter, my best friend and my godson. And uh, it's been really, really nice because this time of year I'm usually in Ibiza and usually compass mentors by this time. So uh, yeah. <laughs> quite lucky to catch me sort of sober for a while. I was meant to be in Ibiza right now. I was hoping to see you at Ocean Beach instead of chatting to you on a podcast, if I'm honest, but we'll, we'll have to settle for this. That's it. You've just got to make the best of what the situation is, isn't it, really? Tony, let's go back to how it all began for you tell the listeners how tony truman became such a god in the industry (laughs) well it all started for me when i was 15 really um i got sort of kicked out of school and um the school were having a big event big like end of season party which i wanted to go to even though i'd been kicked out of the school i've been kicked out then they sort of let me back as well because you know they realized no other schools in the area would actually have me but so the school party was a no-go for me. It was like you know part of my punishment, and uh, I was like devastated. All my pals who I've grown up with from infants right the way through all our school years were going to the event. And you can imagine that's quite sort of traumatic for a young kid, you know, not to sort of go to a party. So my mum said, "Well, why don't you organise your own party? You know, you're the you're the instigator of all the problems the school's got and <laughs> the the ringleader. So why don't you do your own?" So that's what we did. We went and found a venue, found a. Uh, boats because obviously being at that age not many venues would actually hire anything to kids and so we uh we knew the people who had the riverboat company on the thames where we live in kingston yeah and uh, we managed to hire that but the only date they could actually do for this particular boat was the same night as the school party so i said right let's go up against them <laughs> so that's what i done and i put the party on sale i think it was 250 300 people something like that at the time it was a big boat and uh, i sold out all the tickets and apparently only 23 people turned up to the school party so it was like wow you know i've got the power of the people <laughs> so it was like you know it's uh and you know one of the school teachers actually came to my party and, wow yeah that was you know that for me that was the icing on cake and that sort of sealed it that you know 
I had the sort of, I don't know, that one of the teachers would actually do come to something that I was illegally organising. So I suppose that was my first experience in the uh, illegal party business at the time. And then that same summer, um, I was quite sort of into Wham at the time, sort of George Michael and uh, the music of that era, sort of the pop music and everything like that. And uh, Wham had just done the Club Tropicana video. And I remember watching it over and over on the old VHS and everything. Oh my God, it's amazing, that video. I want to go to this place where it was filmed, Pikes and the Coup Club yeah. in, in Ibiza. That's what happened. I sort of persuaded my mum to take me to Ibiza. And she took me and my best mate and my stepdad. We were due to stay in uh, Playa and Bossa, but we couldn't actually get in the main hotel where we wanted to stay. So we ended up in this hotel in San Antonio in the Bay. And I'm so glad we did because well, I met three guys in there who were three years older than us, who a bit more sort of... Uh, knew the score what was going on really in the clubbing scene and they took us out every night and we hit the bars and clubs of San Antonio the West End and everything then uh, the, the sort of defining moment was the night they took me to the Coup Club and I went in there and I experienced that and uh, as only a young 15 year old sneaking into this amazing like out of this world swimming pool club with performers and uh, you know everything and I was like I was totally blown away I was totally totally blown away by it all and I came back and I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, I've done one party. I want to do parties. I want to work abroad. My mum was like, you're too young. You can't. So I had to bide my time. And, um, and that's what I've done. But I carried on doing a few little small parties in between, you know, hiring scout huts and village halls and things like that. They're more school discos. There yeah, weren't anything yeah. of any. But, you know, it was just all like learning experience. And my first sort, of first sort of proper party where we could drink alcohol, I think I was 18. And I'd done a bad taste party. And it was like £10 and drink what you want and everything. So all the kids came to that. And so then that sort of really sort of launched True's Do's, really. You know, that before they were just known as the Truman Parties. They sort of grew and grew, really, you know, as we got a bit older and all my sort of followings, tastes got better. The venues came a little bit more elaborate from, you know, we'd done everything, you know, absolutely everything. Well, I always had the, the, the feel that I wanted to do not nightclub parties. Yeah. I, do, I never wanted to do a parties in usual venues, let me say, like pubs, clubs, restaurants, anything like that. I always wanted to sort of push the boundaries and try and do parties. You know, you've been to some, so you know, you know, in, in like, say, castles, prisons, derelict hospitals, you know, things like, like that, which had a bit of a theme. So then you could theme the event. Yeah. And I think that's what sort of people originally liked coming to my parties because they was always very different. How many parties have you done with Truesdays? I've just actually compiled a list because after 37 years of doing them, right, I've actually never had a, really had a website or anything like that. And I thought, right, in this time, I've gone back and I've sort of collected as many old photos as possible and some old flyers. I did have a lot more, but my house burnt down in the year 2000 and I lost everything, all my old footage of stuff no. which I was gutted about. But I so anyway, I went back in my memory bank, and as far as I know, I've done 158 proper trues do's parties yeah. over that period of time. That it doesn't include obviously all the other little things where we've run regular nights yeah, and bars yeah. or clubs. That is just proper sort of trues do's parties. I saw on social media you've got a big one, hopefully planned at the end of the year. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's right. I'm doing one in Surrey. Um, I've decided that, you know, I always try and, try and do a theme. My last one was Truly Come Dancing, based around Strictly Come Dancing. And this one, I just thought, uh, a few people when I was sort of touched to my sort of close friends, what should I do? A lot of them said, oh, why don't you do Doctors and Nurses Party and everything? And I just thought, you know, do you know what? That's not really, you know, a thing to sort of be celebrating at the moment, is it? Yeah. I know the guys have done an amazing job, but obviously there's a lot of people sort of dying around that. And uh, also it's, you know, I just want to do something a bit more joyous. Yeah. So I thought, well, do you know what? So many people have had their weddings cancelled this year or postponed, I should say, probably a few cancellations as well. Being stuck <laughs> indoors. All right, so I thought, yeah, what's really, really happy? And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to end the year with a wedding all right, and do this crazy wedding at this big hotel where the people can come in. There's going to be a stag room, a hen room. It's going to be a honeymoon room. There's going to be uh, the main reception. There's going to be the divorce <laughs> lawyer's Fantastic. room. You know, and uh, you know anyone who knows my parties, that's what I do. I like to sort of try and create a really good sort of theme around an amazing production. Well, I'm definitely going to come to that one. Hopefully yeah. lockdown is completely done by then and we can celebrate. Tell us about Ocean Beach. Most people listening to the podcast will know you from the, the success you've had over there. How did that all come about? Well, that was uh, obviously, well, we was doing parties, myself and Tony Wheelchair down in Marbella for um, a three, I think three years on the trot. We'd sort of done, we'd hired a big Playboy mansion just outside Port of Venus and we we're bringing over people. And then on the back of that sort of five day trip, we started doing parties at other venues like Nikki Beach and Tibu and stuff like that and Plaza Beach. And then a friend of ours, he'd bought um, the Ocean Club site because it was always an open air public swimming pool. And um, he'd sort of, another friend of ours had given it the name Ocean Club. Literally just opened and they were dead as a dormouse. It really was. So we went to Peter, the owner, and said, come me and Tony said, can we start doing parties in here? And we'll bring a few promoters, start doing that. So that's what yeah. we done. We started doing parties at Ocean Club Marbella. And we'd done those for three years and he had built them up really well, as well as doing the other parties. And then um, he went and sold it. He went and sold it to some new owners and we went to the new owners and said, you know, do you want us to continue doing the parties there? And they said, no, we don't, don't want to work with the British. We were like, wow, <laughs> here's us lot building your business up for three years full of British people and, you know, not just British people, but, you know, cosmopolitan crowd. And now you're telling us you don't want to do that. You know, you, you guys have only bought this on the back of what we've created. So I was a little, you know, like, wow, you know, I can't believe people would actually act like that in business. Perhaps I was a bit naive. And, you know, I'd always had been doing stuff in Ibiza. I'd always sort of had the villas and villa parties in Ibiza and things like that. And I said to Tony, I said, I said, I've had enough of my bar. I said, I want to go back to Ibiza. Let's go back there. And in that last year as well, I met Wayne Lineker. Yeah. Um, uh, ironically enough, at the Ocean Club down in Port Venus. And I said to Wayne, I said, should we do a Lineker's bar? I knew a great site out in um, Ibiza. I said, should we open up a Lineker's bar out there? And Wayne being Wayne was like, yeah, it was all over it straight away. I said, right, I'm going to go out there and uh, talk to the people who've got this venue, fly out and join me. So that's what happened. Wayne flew out there a little while later, I think at the end of the summer, showed him the premises that I had, which is now the current Lineker's. And um, that's what we've done. We opened Lineker's and it was a fantastic, it was very different to the other Lineker's, obviously because Ibiza being very music led as well. Yeah you know, where Linekers have their own sort of party stag and hen format, which still works amazingly well. I think just Ibiza added some real coolness to it all. And um, yeah, we had sort of, still having an amazing time there at Linekers. So that was the real sort of catalyst for our first Ibiza business right. as such. 
But stupidly enough, on the back of that, we had the following year, we had a major, major car crash of a business because I think we got carried away with the hype of how well we'd done that first year. And we decided to open a nightclub. You know, I think you can't be successful until you've had a major failure. And the opening of this nightclub that we opened was a major failure for us in the sense that we got the nightclub too late in the day to open. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have deep enough pockets to fund it. Budgets doubled. You know, the usual story is when you get into business and you open venues, you start off with X amount. And by the time that, it's three Xs. Of it's, uh, and, and that sort of happened. And also, it was a, there was an economic downturn in the globally at that particular time. At the, around the sort of 2008-2009 period, I think, I believe that was something like that. And um, yeah, so we suffered. We opened the nightclub, beautiful nightclub. Thing is, we only had one good night a week really all the other nights were just created on the a shoestring very last minute but the one that as you know again anyone in business knows one good night a week is not sufficient to sustain a business a nightclub with all the overheads so we lost that <laughs> done all of though we uh, <laughs> a few of us all fell out you know <laughs> the trials and tribulations yeah, you know yeah. it's, uh, and uh so you know i'm one to like you know look at things even you know good things or failures look at it and try and learn from it and analyze what went wrong and how you can not make those mistakes again i'd always seen the the the, where the ocean club site is now where it's situated on the front paseo in san antonio there Uh, myself and my mum had always walked past and for many years on our sort of sunset walks and things like that and i'd always had sort of peered over the walks it was just a giant car park it was a and then there was an old Spanish restaurant attached to it and it was all overgrown. There was a nice building structure, which is the building structure that was there, but it was never anything, anything at all. And you literally, the owners had let it all go to, you know, like I say, overgrown and run down and everything. And it was actually two sites in one. It was opened yeah. by the same family, but it's, the site had been split into two. So I still remember climbing over the fence a couple of times, going in, but there was nobody ever one there. It was all sort of derelict. And then one day I climbed over and there was the guy, the Spanish guy, and he was like, now he's actually, I didn't realise, was the owner. And he was like, no, he could hardly speak any English at the time. He was like, no, 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 we're not interested, not interested. So I was like, you know, undeterred. And my Spanish fairy godfather, a guy who I've been very close to for many, many years, and like one of the founding fathers of the party and club scene and hotel scene in Ibiza, who I'm very, very lucky to have as a business partner and close friend. I went to him and I uh, said, do you know the family? And he said, of course I know the family. I've grown up with this family. He said, I can probably make it happen for you. He said, but Tony, you have to be very, very patient. He said, because everything's manana, manana in Spain. Yeah. That's what uh, he said, just leave it with me. And I kept hassling him and hassling him. I said, yeah, I really want it. I really want it. I want it. And I hadn't spoken to my partners about it at all at the time. Because they, you know, we just had this massive failure. I didn't think it was right to sort of say, oh, I've got something else. Let's do this. Mm. You know, especially after I sort of bared the brunt of this probably massive failure more than the others. We Then we looked at sort of expanding on the Lineker's concept because that was doing so well. And we looked at sort of opening up a Lineker's in um, Plaid and Bossa. And so we went to Plaid and Bossa. We found an amazing site there, but it had a couple of other units attached to it and then we thought about putting in a couple of other brands so we just actually negotiated a deal and we were just on the about to sign a deal to open us like a second Lineker's and some other concepts in Plaid and Bossa and literally as we went to sign the deal the guy decided to dabble the price literally as we sat around the table and um, sort of you know try to hit us by the balls and we were like we're not having any of this you know Literally, as as that happened, I think that very day, I got the phone call from the Senti, ironically enough, and said, um, the place in San Antonio, they're willing to talk and do a deal. 
So it's fate. So you know, I'm yeah. a great believer in great believer in fate, and what's meant to be is meant to be. And uh, yeah. and I'm very much lucky so because you know I know the Plastic Boys many years later went and actually took that same site in Plaid and Bosser, and um, you know they really unfortunately struggled. It was they said it was just a little bit off the beaten track, and they couldn't make it work either. So I met Vicente. He took me down. I negotiated a deal. The, the landlords, Ibisenkos, they don't like relinquishing their property. Yeah. They like holding on to their coastal property because, you know, many, many years ago, all the old Ibisenkos owned all the farmland in Ibiza. And basically when um, in the 50s and 60s where the coastal land had no value, they gave that all to, I don't know if you know this, the founding fathers gave all their coastal land to the kids. Right. Because it wasn't it wasn't agricultural land or anything like that. It was all the the land that had all the value was the farmland internally where they could have all the fields and make all the produce and stuff like that. The coastal line wasn't worth anything at all until tourism. Then suddenly everyone wanted to be on the coast and they started building all these hotels on the on the edge of the beaches and suddenly the the kids came really rich and all oh, the wow. agriculture of the uh, families. So been passed through families for generations and generations and that's why Ibisenkos they were they're very clever. Not like the Brits. The Brits would just sell it for the highest bidder all the time, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. But they, they maintain it. So we took a long lease on the land, which is Ocean Club, and we'd done the deal. And uh, then I sort of, sort of thought about to tell my partners what I've got in mind. So I went in and said, look, guys, come down here. So Dwayne was the first one who came down with me. Dwayne is my uh, business operating partner in O Beach. And I took him down there. We climbed over the wall and... Uh, he was like, wow, wow, look at this. And you know, we said, let's put a swimming pool here, dance floor here. So we had the, uh, you know, had the vision, had an outline vision. Hmm. You know, I can't sort of take all the credit for it because then we went to a, like a local designer architect who refined it all, you know, choosing where the entrance would be and helped with the layout and everything. But you know, between my, myself and Dwayne there, then we really des- developed a concept, what we thought would uh, be O-Beach. And again, at that particular time, it was only half, half the site. You know, then we realized once we sort of done the drawings and the plans, we needed to take next door. Mm. which really was the car park. And so then we'd done a deal and we took next door. Then we massively expanded it all in one. And we were lucky to join it together as a, it's called an escritura, which means the ownership of the land. You must have been nervous after the, the club failure to have this huge site now in Ibiza. Well, that's what a lot of people said to me, right? They said, oh, you mad, you mad after the back of that. But I knew what myself and Tony had done at Ocean Club in Marbella and how we, you know, we weren't obviously the only ones doing parties at Ocean Club Marbella, but we were really spearheading uh, um, some mass promotion for it. And we see over the three years since we started doing parties at Ocean Club Marbella, where I think even even in our first year, we only had a few hundred or maybe four or five hundred people at our party. Second year, well, you know, Marbella, we had like a thousand people at Ocean Club Marbella. The third year, we had nearly 2,000 people yeah. there. So we saw what we could do. We knew that concept work. And there was, I think in Ibiza itself, there was going to be a bit, you know, with all the laws coming in at the time. So Ibiza used to all be about the daytime party. Space, amnesia, everyone had all the borra borra. Everything was about the outdoor parties. But then they brought in this legislation that all the clubs and Esparadis had to have roofs on them. So that's what they did. You know, the Space Terrace got covered. It's Paradise got covered. Amnesia got covered. Privilege got covered, which was, was the old coup club. These were all massive, massive open air clubs, similar to O Beach yeah. is now really before that time. And then sort of we came in and thought, well, you know, do you know what? People don't always want to be standing in a dark sort of nightclub. You know, people, the idea when they go on holiday, they like to be outside in the sun and hmm. things like that. So I knew... I knew, I actually knew it would work. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think it would work. 
even despite, you know, when I took people down there before we'd even laid a brick and I was showing them and they were like, are you off your head? Are you mad? Yeah, that, it's amazing space tone, but, and the great, but the, you, are you mad? And I went, well, yeah, we must be mad, but we're going to do it. <laughs> but we didn't realize, you know, it's, you know, that first year was very, very tough. I must admit, you know, we are, again, we overspent, we overcommitted. And in the first year we opened late in the day and everything, you know, to make a successful business in Ibiza, anyone who's planning on opening a business in the future, you have to open right at the beginning of the season because yeah. the seasons are short. You know, it's a very seasonal business. It's like, you know, 20 weeks, something like that. Right, you have to make the bell ring in that time. Mm-hmm. If suddenly you're delayed by a month, six weeks, eight weeks, and you don't get open until late June, your business model and your financial model is going to be very, very different. You know, and uh, unless you've got sort of severe deep pockets, I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> and then you went on to be a hotelier. Yes, we uh, we decided to branch out into some other businesses. You know, we we sort of you know spoke about how can we lift San Antonio. I think that was the other thing as well. San Antonio had been getting such a bad reputation, right? It, you know, I think some of the TV shows in the the nineties, early sort of two thousand, had sort of portrayed it as you know real like Brits aboard, chavy, and you know, of course, there's elements to that. You know, and there are elements to that still there, but that, like there isn't any sort of major holiday resort. We just felt, you know, we love the people of San Antonio. We love the community. A lot of, you know, the local community are good friends. We sort of said, myself and Dwayne and partners, right, how can we sort of improve it? And one of the biggest things for me was, and at the time, I felt, you know, and I was very vocal in uh, how I said this for many years. I said, uh, the hotel standard is appalling. Everybody needs to start upping their game. You know, they really, really do. If, if San Antonio wants to start attracting a decent clientele, they need to start upping their game with the hoteliers. We teamed up with the bar here, the old bar here hotel, and we turned that into the O'Beach Hotel as a brand partnership with the THB group. And we renovated that and made that nice and filled that up straight away. And then uh, quite a few hoteliers, I think, started to listen. Yeah. And that was very, very important for the town, you know, because it's got the sunset, you know, the location is unbelievable. It's got an all year round community and, uh, so that was our thing. So with the hotel, I thought, well, you know, I really want one myself, really want to get a hotel myself. And, uh, you know, it's very, very, very hard to get a hotel. Uh, and I think, you know, I think probably we're the only British owned hotel in San Antonio. Now I think about it, it's, you know, I think 99% is Spanish owned. And uh, then this one came up and it was like, wow, just this is my dream hotel. I wanted something boutique. I wanted yeah. something sunset and everything. And it had, it had all the right attributes that I wanted in location and price and everything. So then it was like, right, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this different? I've done it with my, one of my old closest friends. And he, his original idea was, why don't we do a girls only hotel? We <laughs> uh, <laughs> said, yeah, let's, let's just fill it up. We always love the women. Let's fill it up with women. I said, come on, mate, we can't do that. You know, I said, that's not ethically right at the moment. I said, we get slaughtered if we try to do that. I said, well, let's just make it very, very girly. Let's, let's, let's do something sort of very pink and girly. So we came up with this design of like the chevron pattern very leery but also instagram you know instagram mm. is you know so prominent now and that was another reason you know when i said about hotels need to do themselves up like there was a lot of posting on social media how can they charge us for this hotel and it was pictures of disgusting rooms and i thought well you know we've got to do something nice because people will be posting rooms pools yeah. restaurants and then i came up with the name the wiki woo <laughs> which was obviously very different out there. Uh, something very memorable. Myself with names and businesses, you know, like from Kiss My Fairy and then so our new business, Bamboo Coo. I like to always try and pick names that 
don't really have a meaning. So if you Google it, you'll come straight to the top of the search engines. Yeah. You don't have to have sponsored links. You don't have to pay for like, oh, we're the Palm Club, whatever, where there's a thousand Palm Clubs around the world, yeah. you know, yeah. just saying hypothetically. So coming up with the name WikiWoo was a real like, people ask the question, what is that? Hence our logo being an upside down question mark because that's how the Spanish have their question mark. So it made people sort of think, well, what is that? Let's, let's search it. And uh, I think when they search it and they see it, they're pleasantly surprised. I personally not stayed there, but you're right. Instagram has made your hotel one of the most sought after in Ibiza for sure. How do you separate your time from the club and the hotel? It's, you know, I always say this, it's key personnel. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, you, you only got so many hours in the day what you can dedicate to things and got to have trust in the people around you. And uh, the, honestly, the team we've got around us from George and Gemma and Claudio at O Beach and, you know, from Pete and everyone to James at Lineker's and Itica, Karen at Kiss My Fairy, Lois, Joel, Katie at Skinny Kitchen, Lucy and Goldie at Wiki Woo. You've got to have you know, you're only as good as the people you work with. You really are, you know, and uh, giving them the rope to do what they want to do as well within reason. And uh, but just always be there in the background mm. for advice or if there are problems, good or bad, they can come to you. And it's like, let, let them sort of create and run their own sort of business within business. I'm very much for that, you know, of letting people, you know, being there for them, but also sort of some guidance. And, you know, like Dwayne, my business partner in O Beach, he's amazing. He looks after all the, you know, the sort of the office and uh, the day-to-day running of it where, you know, I get involved with a lot of the creative side and the events and the hosting and then the hotel. Like I say, it's people. It's yeah. people. The key, key thing, I think, is to any business is the people that you work with and appreciating them. Do you love what you do? I love it. I never get out. I never sort of think, oh, I've got to go to work, oh, you know, because I think I'm very lucky. I've made a a work career out of my pleasurable hobby, mm-hmm. which is partying, having fun, having a laugh. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot, a lot of stressful times and sometimes where I get very angry and uh, lose the plot. Yeah. But, you know, that's, 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 that's life, isn't it? You know, nothing's a smooth bed of roses and that sort of keeps inspiring me. And uh, I have been very reflective in this period of lockdown, though, about, you know, a couple of years ago, I did want to have 20 beach clubs all over the world, hotel and every, everywhere every beach club was. I must admit my sort of current views have slowed down a little bit on that now. And I think you know, this lockdown has given me time to reflect a little bit of, you know, what do you need? How many sort of places do you want? You know, not, not in an ego way that you want all these places. It's just I like them because I like sort of creating concepts and ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Uh, or, you know, it's not, it's not the money side of things either. It's just the, the fun aspect of, like, seeing how far you can push things. How has the coronavirus affected all your businesses? At first, I think, like anywhere, there was real initial panic because, obviously, tourism was one of the things that hit the hardest, mm-hmm. without a shadow of a doubt, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, you know, as well as many other sectors of business. I think at first, the initial thing was everyone paid big deposits to come, you know, 50% deposits for beds, tables, hotel rooms and things like that. And any businessman will tell you those monies you receive in deposit are monies you used over your winter periods for cash flow mm-hmm. for businesses, you know, and uh, unless you're super mega, mega rich and uh, we're not that, but, you know, we're just, you know, everyday businessmen. And you use that money for like, you know, the, the enhancements of those businesses, the refurbishments, mm-hmm. you use it for your winter staff you use it for your promotion you use it for all your stuff that you're gearing up for the following summer 
So when at first everyone was like, oh, we want our money back, we want our money. you know, everyone had this massive panic about money before the governments had announced what they were going to do with furloughs and things like that. And then I think after a couple of weeks that died down, people realised they're not going to be as skint as they actually thought they were going to be. Yeah. They are going to get some benefits. Everyone was doing relief for mortgages, mortgage breaks. I think all oh, the panic died down and then people was very, very understanding. You know, we've only had a couple of people who've really sort of, you know, got a bit sort of aggressive in demanding money back, which we've given, of course, uh, you know, but you know, everyone loves Ibiza. It's a pilgrimage like every year people coming to Ibiza and there was the slogan sort of don't cancel, just postpone. Mm -hmm. And that's what everyone done, you know, so we shifted all our April and May bookings to July, August, September, and we're even going to extend the season. We've been in talks with quite a few of the other club owners and business owners, and we're all going to sort of go into sort of uh, mid to late October this year just through the sheer demand and everything. And the weather's beautiful then. I've always said this, you know, why isn't Ibiza open in October? The weather's absolutely stunning. The best part of it anyway, you know. Mm. So we've actually sort of come out of it okay, you know. I'm not going to, you know, we are still down, you know, heavily financially down. But we just feel now where things are looking slightly brighter, if we can sort of get open and maybe have 10 weeks trade, eight weeks trade, hopefully we can recoup some of our losses. And our aim now is to get out of this season without losing any money, just at a break-even point. Without earning any, but without losing any. And that's all we can hope for, really. You're quite confident that we might get back out there sort of July? I'm very confident. I'm very, yeah. very confident. Subject to all the being there, you know, a global spike again in this, you know. Yeah. And um, obviously that's the most important thing. You know, we're totally prepared to wipe our nose of this whole year if, uh, you know, when it comes to people's health and uh, liberty and stuff like that. But, you know, it's things are looking very, very positive. You know, the airlines have now announced they're going to be flying. We've opened one of our first bars, which is really good. Obviously, all being on the limited capacity. But yeah. hopefully that as we go on and there's not a big spike again. And I think they've got it under control now. I think most of the countries and things like that, you know, and as long as there's hospital beds available, I think that's the biggest thing that they'll mm. relax the laws and uh, cases seem to be going down. So I'm very confident, very, very confident we're going to get, it's not going to be a beta as you know it, as yeah. we all know, I think some of the super clubs might be affected. You know, I can't, can't, can't see them open up places with five, eight, 10,000 people all congregating. But uh, I think some of the smaller businesses which some of the smaller businesses and smaller clubs which have suffered in the past over the big clubs might sort of benefit now people going back to a bit more smaller boutique clubbing i don't know i just you know just really hope that everyone in uh, our industry and other industries sort of can all come out the other side uh, and survive the main thing is liam you know we're alive and healthy that's For sure. uh, that's the bit that's the biggest thing that, that will be music to a lot of people's ears uh, if ibiza is back uh, like you said, maybe less capacity or there'll be measures in place for, for opening. But um, if there are some sort of party season this year, it'd be fantastic. Pasha announced they might open one or two days a week. High will hopefully do the same as well. And, uh, you know, and hopefully amnesia. And they'll, I don't think they'll have like a seven day programs, but I think they'll, you know, try and get the island opening. Um, but I'm sure 2021 is going to be an amazing year for the island. Have you got any other big projects you're working on for next year? Well, we were planning on open O Beach Dubai in this October, but obviously with all this happening, it's delayed all the plans for building and all our contractors out there. So yeah, we put that off till next year. So that's going to be the big, big opening for us business-wise in 2021. Where would that be? 
It's uh, we haven't released it all yet, but it's in the Jamira era, area. We were we've got all the you know the drawings, all the you know the visuals are all done and everything. We've just held back now again on it, obviously because of what's happening with this, and we want to launch it all one. But it's a it's an amazing site. It really is. It's uh, it's superb. You know, it's taken us five years to get the deal done. It's uh, been very very complex working with. Uh, working in within the UAE and all their laws and restrictions and things like that and uh, the way they operate. But we've managed to do it. And we were literally just about to break ground and start the building project when this happened. But that would be, honestly, it's going to be immense and something much needed out there, we feel. Amazing. What do you find is the biggest challenge for you when you go to these other countries? I think, first of all, you've got to embrace the local culture. You've got to look at what they're, you know, obviously being a very strict country at Dubai, the UAE in, in particular, and each state is, is made up of seven states and each state has got different laws where you can drink and things like that. You know, and the, the, when I say nudity, I mean in what dancers can wear and things like that and, uh, and what you can do. It's, it's become a lot more liberated, I must admit. In the, I've been going to Dubai 20 years now, but I must admit in the last five years, it's come so much more liberated. You can push the boundaries. They are really becoming a lot more westernized i think i say that is the biggest thing you've got to understand the local culture the local laws and things like that and you've got to understand who your market is there because in dubai okay there's tourism there's a lot of tourism you don't get like in ibiza where you get the groups of 20 30 40s on stag and hen parties and things like that well you you get it but they're a lot more sporadic in when we do o beach dubai we are going to be appealing a lot more to the the locals and a lot more cosmopolitan as well we're in Ibiza, we you know we're ninety five percent British. In Dubai, we will be appealing to more you know the Arabs, uh, the the Italians, the Dutch, the Australians. It's going to be a lot more multicultural venue out there. So you've got to look at what they they're all into and not have it all the, the business focus solely in your events and the music around like the Brits, like we do in Ibiza. So I've got Dubai and Ibiza in my calendar for parties with you for the next couple of years. Yeah. And then we've got another one on the back burner as well. We were just about to hopefully uh, start negotiations on a deal for another amazing one. And that will probably be it for uh, a good long while, so I say, you know, uh, and uh, there'll be hopefully another one after that, possibly. Let's find out a little bit more about the man. Tony, what's your biggest success to date? My biggest success is, I would feel, uh, having all my old friends and new friends around me all the time. And for me, having the people you have grown up with as still as best friends in my life and uh, my family and my, my biggest success is obviously having a daughter yeah. you know I you know I've been single for the best part of my life through choice you know I've had loads of girlfriends and short-term relationships but I think in the industry that I've always been in it's been a very single person's industry for me personally doing what I do and you know and I've enjoyed that I'm not going to lie and I did this sort of at one point in my life when I hit 30 I thought am I ever going to settle down am I ever going to have a kid and I did settle down with someone who's actually now one of my best friends we're not together anymore but we've got a daughter together and I think the you know the success of the relationship myself and Charlie have and with our families for me personally that's I feel my greatest success that we've managed to be with someone break up we live together practically much in the same house. We're like you know best pals. It's I think that's my success and the close family unit that we've got. It's great to have a foundation, especially for a daughter. I've got a young daughter as well, and uh, yeah, it's great that you've managed to keep that sort of uh, family base for her. 
Uh, What's the best advice you would offer anyone who has a similar dream to Tony Truman to go and open somewhere? Let's pick IB, for example. What's the best advice you'd offer them? Go and work there for many years because I think that's one of the reasons why our businesses work. Um, I, you know, I used to be a barman. I used to be a waiter. I used to be a glass collector. I used to be a PR out the front. I used to be a flyer on the street. I used to sell tickets. Learn what you're going to do inside out. Right, because then I think you'll understand people a lot way. I think you'll understand how business runs. I think Wayne done the same as well with his Lineker's bars. He used to work behind the bar and done everything, to, you know, and as, as well as Dwayne. Dwayne used to work in uh, Wayne's bars when he was younger. And really learn your business inside out. Don't just sort of turn up and think you've got a bit of money. Oh, I'm going to buy this bar. It's going to be a success or anything, because then it more than likely nine times out of ten won't work. I think, you know, it's like any profession, you've got to do an apprenticeship. You know, you've got to do an apprenticeship and it's not necessarily that cash is king and can just buy you success. You know, we've we've done it the hard way. We've done it from the the seat of our pants from having nothing and built it up. And um, I think when you do it that way as well, you're a lot more sort of bonded to it. So, yeah, just and uh, be transparent and honest. Yeah. as well be very transparent in everything you do and try and just be as honest as you can in what you do as well. Do you have any personal goals that you're looking to reach? that you haven't right now and, and uh, lockdowns give you a time to reflect and go, this is what I want to do. This time of lockdown has given me, sort of brought me back down to earth of living in the fast lane all the time, always constantly traveling on a plane. And I realized my mum and uh, my mum's getting older, my daughter's getting older and I have missed out a lot because I'm trying to achieve my dream. And this has given me time to reflect that I do want to try and spend as much time as them. And I want to get a burning man. Do you? I know it sounds a bit mad, but I really want to go to Burning Man. You know, loads of my friends have been, and they all say, Tony, you've got to go, you'll love it, you know. So that's what I say. I want to sort of travel and see a bit more, a few more places. Just talking about London, would you open anything in London? Not so much central London. Um, you know, we have looked at bringing O Beach to the UK. Right. We have, you know, we've looked at a couple of sites. Funny enough, one of them was right in central London. But I'm not, sh- I'm not sure about London. I'm not sure. Maybe I've, what I've, yeah. Sorry, when I say I have what what I like to do, yes, I do know something I'd like to do. I've always wanted because I've come from Surrey. I'm very lucky. I've come from a really nice area, you know, from surrounding areas: Esher, Oxshott, Claygate, Cobham, Weybridge, Kingston, Richmond. All beautiful, beautiful areas. And I just feel this area is very affluent area, and it's really lacking a top top place. I mean, I would like to open a really, really nice country club. Like a nice. great big old manor, stately home, manor house type building with like, you know, top restaurant in there, beautiful accommodation, club. That is my ultimate goal now and uh, funny enough I've been looking the last year and I had my dream dream venue on the table not long ago uh, but unfortunately it was financially just that little too far out of our reach and we couldn't do well not too a little too far it was massively out of our reach really and I was gutted because it's a place I've dreamed of since I was very very young of owning and now I've been told it's turning into an old people's home and I'm devastated (laughs) but I'm not I'm not going to give up the ghost I really do want to find somewhere out in this Surrey Berkshire sort of vicinity where I can do that and I think that will be uh, my resting place (laughs) Tony it's been absolutely fascinating speaking to you and uh, it's always great to catch up Andrew Liam thank you very much for having me on one last message to the listeners say they're looking forward to getting out and hitting Ibiza this year come it's going to happen and obviously the more people that come the more people are going to realize we can beat this we can all stay together and we can beat this nothing in this world is ever ever going to bring us people and our spirits down so just get on living your life and it's all about the good times and the first round's on you first round's on me come (laughs) come and see me all right tony fantastic mate
My pleasure, mate. Thanks a lot, yeah, Liam. Later. See you soon. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Wow, wow, wow. Tony Truman, that was epic. Thank you for coming on, mate. I really, really enjoyed speaking to you. And uh, I'm sure you've all seen on Tony's Instagram that Ibiza is open. WikiWoo will start taking their first bookings from the 1st of July. And I've seen that Tony's already out there in the white aisle. So best of luck to everyone out there. Hopefully I'll be out there uh, towards the end of the year. And, And as the season is extended to October, I'm sure I will be. And on to Tuesday's episode, we have got Mark Fuller, Mr. Embassy, the owner of Sanctum Hotel. It's going to be an incredible show. make sure you do not miss it once again thank you Tony for coming on and if you'd like to reach out to myself after the show you can do by emailing me liam.norval at poshcotney.co.uk or follow me on Instagram Facebook Twitter or LinkedIn at Liam Norval and thanks for the email requests regarding am I doing public speaking and yes I am so I am available to be booked for that so please drop me an email and don't forget if you are in the industry and you'd like to be interviewed on the podcast please drop me an email and we'll try and get you on guys that's enough for today have a great weekend and i'll see you on tuesday for the mark fuller episode